عايدة لو عندك شحاطة بترميها على مين؟ سؤال كتير حلو I would throw it at my friends here in New York City صراحة بدي أرمي الشحاطة عليهم لأنه they try to remind me of what I'm not you know and this has to do with like the stuff that's happening in Gaza and in Lebanon I've been pretty sad about that kind of stuff and when I was hanging out with my Lebanese friends last week I told them, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty affected by what's happening in Beirut. And their first answer to me was, So that's, it kind of started this whole whirlwind of, what the hell? I am Lebanese or am I Lebanese? Shouldn't I feel guilty either way? There are people in my, in my country and in my region that are affected. Why? Well, here's the thing. As um, I'm going to tap into my inner um, uh, auntie and I'm going to tell you they ain't shit. You don't need them. Fuck them. Um, but not really. <laughs> um, the second thing that I want to tell you is, um, you know what? I'm, I'd actually like to apologize for the people who are listening because this might be a pity party for the next 40 minutes. And if you have a problem with it, I recommend you open YouTube and watch Teletopies because you do not have the heart to listen to any kind of podcast in the world. And um, I'm guessing this already starts what we are going to talk about. الباب مقفول والقلوب مفتوحة وأهم إشي القهوة على النار أهلاً فيكم في لولا جارتي البودكاست اللي بيجيب من طق الحنك فايدة اسمي عالية محمود a.k.a. الفجارة واليوم موضوعنا cultural identity please welcome عايدة رأيتم So to introduce you, Aida is a long um, life, I don't know, family friend who's used to be my cousin's friend or is my cousin's friend and my brother's friend who are older than me and then suddenly we became Instagram friends? Yeah. Basically, some a, a mutual friend of ours said, listen, you need to follow Alia because she's got some funny stuff on her Instagram. I was like, let me try this out. And then every post you had about Lola Jart, you know, that stuff really related to me. Um, it was very relatable. And that's, we bonded over the, the, the common uh, identity crisis and sense of humor mm-hmm. and uh, Zatar conversations. So Zatar is my cat, if uh, people do not know. First, I don't know, I kind of don't where to start because this is such a big conversation to have. But I feel like we need to have some kind of like background explanation of where we're from exactly. So I, Alia, I am originally Palestinian, but I'm also Jordanian and I'm kind of Saudi because I was born and raised here and my mom is Saudi. But like I've never known exactly where I'm from. My dad has grown up in Palestine And didn't really grow up in Jordan, but he is Jordanian. And he lived like the past 40 years, 40 plus years in Saudi Arabia. But he isn't considered Saudi. And also my mom grew up in Lebanon more than she grew up in Saudi Arabia. But she doesn't really consider herself Lebanese because she's like she speaks Lebanese, but she isn't Lebanese. And I do not know what the fuck I'm supposed to identify oh, with. Oh, we're allowed to curse on here. I'm so, I'm so happy. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cursing, cursing is, uh, I'm, I'm a very positive, uh, pro- I'm, I support cursing and I think it's important. And we're going to put like 
18 plus on this anyway, so feel free to curse as much as you want. And I don't know, Aida, what's your background? Oh man, let's begin. Um, very similar to yours. I like in in short, I like to say Sardia in Beirut. But the reality is, I was actually born in the states, but that means nothing because I left when I was five minutes old. But my father is from Beirut, Lebanon. My mom in Gaza, Palestinian. But I was raised in Saudi Arabia until I was 18 years old. Um, so there's a Beirut, there's a Gaza, and there's a Saudi uh, portion of my life. But I, I, I know Saudi Arabia like it's my home. Um, but then for the past 10, 15 years, I'm quite old. I'm not going to say what my age is. I've been living in North America. So I'm, I've been in Montreal, Vancouver, and now I'm in New York City. And I have been for the past six years. So growing up, I, I never knew where I belonged. Like if you ask me, where's my home? I'll say Saudi, I'll say Jeddah, because I know it like the back of my hand. It's where I grew up. I have memories. I have childhood friends over there. But if you ask me, what am I going to eat for lunch? I'll tell you, I bet you know, something very Lebanese. <laughs> um, and growing up, basically... It's kind of like saying my heart is Palestinian, but my stomach is exactly. Lebanese. Exactly. And then even over here, when my friends ask me to describe myself, I say, look, I'll have hummus as an appetizer, but for dessert, I would love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, and that's the thing. I also grew up going between the States and Saudi. And similar to you, it's just a conflict. It's an ongoing conflict. So that's my background. Here's one of my issues. You know, have you ever gotten this like tweet that went viral with what's okay? What's like, like, okay, if you're rich and like bad, if you're poor. And one of those things where like, if you, if it's like a taboo, if you speak more than one language, but you're poor, but it's amazing if you speak more than one language and you're rich. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, I have this kind of jealousy about how, like is it in Europe? How they all like, oh, I'm American, Swedish, and you're like, oh my god, you're like so multicultural. Yeah. And like when you go to the Arab world and you're like, where are you from? I'm a Palestinian. Like Palestinian, oh, or something. But like, I'm not Palestinian. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's not. Oh, yeah. Also, for the non Palestinians out there, it kind of means like original. Yeah. Like, just here, added to the vocabulary. One of the biggest ways that I kind of like got a slap in my face that I was not really whitewashed. So, you know how you grow up here and you, even though like I had a very Arabic education, I speak English the way I do because of how much English media I consume Mm -hmm. and how much my personality is engulfed around the art that I consume and what I read and what, which is mostly in English. And that's kind of why I sound like a Cartoon Network character and also the unhealthy amount of hours (laughs) where I've like watched Cartoon Network. And I credit that to my accent. Um, And when I went to university in London and when I started getting the question where are you from, which is really the bane of my existence. Mm -hmm. That's really when I started having an identity crisis because everyone used to think I'm American because I'm pale Mm -hmm. and I speak the way I do, but I just never know what to answer them. And it's always like this kind of second where you have like a what's so Raven moment and you're like trying to predict where this conversation is going to go depending on the answer that I'm going to give. And if I say Palestinian, sometimes they're like, oh, you mean Pakistan? Oh my God. And you're like, no. And, or you say Palestinian and they're like, you mean Israel? Oh, and you're hell like, fuck no. no. Hell no. <laughs> 
And then if you say you're Jordanian, they're like, Georgia? And you're like, mm, no. And if you say they're Saudi, everyone's like, oh. Yeah. You know, there's there's not a single way to answer this where, uh, where it does not turn into like a 30-minute lecture on Middle Eastern yeah. politics. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, oh, I'm from France, and then the conversation is just over? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, oh God, this is this is one of those moments where I have like white jealousy, yeah. where I wish, like I wish I was just like, the thing is they do this for small talk. Like if you're anywhere out in a restaurant or whatever and like people want to approach you, like it's, you know, it's supposed to be like a way in to have a conversation. But if anything, it just cuts it and people are like, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. Because yeah. like there's nothing inviting about it. Like you can see the disappointment in my face, the struggle, the sweat pouring down my forehead out of nervousness. You know, you're just like, yeah, ah, ah, how can I end this quickly? And you know what? Sometimes I've even said, yeah, I'm American to just get this bullshit Same. over with, especially when it's a white person I'm talking to. Like, I'm not racist, but white people are ignorant mm -hmm. as fuck. You know what? I just I just stop asking me where I'm from. Oh, also, like whenever I just they're like, what's your name? Uh, ismi Alia or like my name is Alia or like sometimes I'm like my name is Alia and like again it never goes well like there is no way for me to like introduce myself without it becoming political it's what's funny is that my sister's name is Alia and the way she made it not political she just said my name is Alia because that just ended the conversation because she did what you did you know I'm American oh but your name she's like no but like Alia like the singer and then they just stayed quiet and sometimes I'll do the same thing if I'm in a cab And the, the guy asks me where I'm from because they see Ida, Ida or whatever. And they go, oh, where are you from? I just, I say, listen, I, I was born and raised in the city. And this one person had the audacity to ask me what hospital I was born in. That's when I realized I was fucked up. I was fucked. I had no idea how to answer. I was like, oh, uh, the one in the Upper East Side. He caught me in my blood. <laughs> like, why do you want to know where I was born? What hospital? Khalas. Shukhasak. Yeah, I'm, I was born and Shukhas raised in the city. Abu. Yeah, I just don't want to talk about where I'm from. Please just get me to my deli. Just stop. You know? <laughs> and yeah, Sarah, yeah. I don't get Uber drivers and their like obsession with like, you know, it turns into like, what is that stupid I, uh, uh, DNA test thingy? Like 20, 21 and me or whatever. 23 and me. It's like 23 and Whatever. Yeah, but and like, are you a CIA spy? Do you want to get me kicked out of the country, sir? What are you trying to investigate here? You know what's awesome about the Ubers here now? You can actually have a silent mode where it tells them not to speak to the passenger. I know it's rude, but yeah, it's just sometimes I just don't mind. Blown. Yeah. They should. They should. Ha we should have that on our foreheads. Just don't talk to me. And I don't want people to, I don't want the audience to think that I'm an antisocial. I actually love speaking to people, but habba habba, you know? And then when it comes to my culture and my identity, this, this, I'm starting to, to, uh, to digress a little bit, but I think the best thing I did was make sure I got a job in the Bronx because it was a blank canvas. The Bronx is mostly African-American, Dominican, Puerto Rican, and Mexican. And they don't know anything about the Middle East, which was sad at first. But then I realized I could finally be a representative. I felt like it was my duty to represent the Middle East. Like, no, we're not the ones who knocked down the Twin Towers. I swear we're cool. Um, but it was nice because they were open. They understood the, the notion of culture and that yeah. there, there's flavor to culture. Unlike my old job in Manhattan in the Upper East Side, where it was all Caucasian, um, 
Mm. There, was, there was nothing to add. And they had so much ignorance and arrogance. They didn't want to hear me out. Um, see, sorry, I digress. Oh, yeah. To elaborate, I feel like it's an important thing to mention. So can you tell us more about what you do? What is your job? Oh, yeah. So I'm an occupational therapist. I specialize with working with kids with autism spectrum disorder, ASD. I'm also a PhD student at Columbia University focusing on neurorehabilitation. So basically I help out. You let- yeah, I know, right? Um, so I basically help out kids with special needs. I know, it's my All I can see is like, all I can see is like your parents putting your shahada and like a tatriz, the doily, like very Arabic style. Oh my God, I live for this. This 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 visual of like doilies on top of everything oh is like, la, 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 la. like I am, it speaks to me. That's why I'm like, oh, I'm really excited to graduate next year, but I'm also not because that's what I'm going to have to face. But um, so yeah, that's what I do. And the nature of my job is to work with a lot of different communities because I... I'm very passionate about um, helping families who are below the social economic status that's considered normal in America. So I work in really rough parts of the Bronx um, and it's beautiful and I actually feel more comfortable there. And they reminded me of how proud I should be about my identity because they had to be proud of their identity as immigrants to the States. Um, before that I was working in, like I said, Upper East Side Manhattan where it was just, oh, I am I, and you are just not white. And that's what I felt. Like, that was it. So really quickly, I was out of there. I have a question for you. Have you ever code switched between the places you work in? Oh, 100%. 100%. In, in Manhattan, the fancy parts, I speak like this. And I totally, I validate every concern that a parent has with regards to their child's performance. <laughs> But when I'm in the Bronx, I'm just myself. It's I'm so much more real and I definitely have to code switch. And you can even see it in the reports that I write, although there's a baseline of how you should write your reports, but just the way I communicate with parents. Because the last, and I, I'll never forget this one African-American parent said, I got confused because you look white, but you talk like a Puerto Rican. I guess because she saw my brown hair. She's like, I got confused. Yeah. And you weren't using that white person, let's circle back. Uh, let's touch base jargon with me. She said that and I went nuts. I was like, that's so true. Let's touch base about this. Um, so I, oh yeah, my God. I definitely code Oh, switch. to elaborate, like if there's anyone who has never heard the phrase code switching before, by the way, like I can't even think of an Arabic like version of it. That's one of the reasons why we like obsessively speak in English, I think. Um, so basically code switching is when you pretend to be or like um show your culture and identity in a very specific way to please the person in front of you so if you are mixed race or you're from a different culture you will kind of pick and choose at what kind of personality you will show to please the person in front of you yeah like for example even in this conversation <laughs> like my english is coming out more than my arabic Okay, we haven't said one Arabic I, word. I'm switching for you either. I'm so honored. I'm so honored. I'm 
لكنتنا العربيه م-م. انه مثلا انا بحكي فلسطيني على لبناني على سعودي مصطلحات سعوديه فجاه م-م. بتدخل في الموضوع ما انه هيك الصوت لحاله بيطلع اردني فلسطيني فكنت انس انه I just avoid أكتف الشر وكنت بس أحكي إنجليزي على أساس إنه it's a neutral way to discuss any issue without having the other person in front of me question where I'm from. I, I agree and I, I also do the same thing because, you know, I grew up with a, with a Beiruti father, a Palestinian mother, Palestinian grandparents, but English-speaking siblings. So I would talk to my dad, بالفلسطيني أو السعودي, and he would correct me. And I think I mentioned this story the other day to you. I had the Benadura, Tomatum, Bandora trifecta of horror. So I was in the kitchen with my dad. I was like, Baba, mumkin it tomatum? He's like, Shu tomatum. Benadura, habibte. Benadura. I go to my grandma, ah, jibtilik. Again, tomatum. Like at some point as a kid, I went to Saudi school, so I was very comfortable with the Saudi dialect. Ish. Bandora, bandora. So my entire life was just when it's not to me and a tomato, fucking white people they get to me and a tomato, and we get bandora, bandora. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for for us, it's like three. To be fair, you um, could have been like, so Aslan, it is tomato. Huh. Yeah, no, my my grandma knew my intellectual capacity was definitely not on the level of. Fusha. It could have been like actually, you know. But that's. Actually, <laughs> that's where the shahapa that we were talking about earlier would come to me. So, growing up, I realized, just like you, mm. I'm just going to talk English. Because that's like a very plain, I, you know, I watch mostly English shows. And even my parents just realized, oh, it is so much easier. We don't need to correct our daughter mm. every five minutes. And even when I did go to Saudi school, by the way, I struggled. I, yo, I was called a retard. Sorry, I'm an OT. I can actually use that, the R word. But in Saudi school, I was called retarded and they told me to go get an evaluation because I wasn't keeping up with, with school. But then my mom realized, oh my God, it's, it's, a, it's a language barrier. And I never realized that my daughter has had a language barrier for the past six years of her life because nobody taught me. In Saudi school, they just spoon-fed me all this information I needed to memorize. And bring it back to the shahata, I love you, mama and baba. But you get like a, you get like a mini shahata because I, I wish you just listened to, to me when I said I was having difficulty. Because then maybe I would have take, you would have helped me and I would have taken the Arabic seriously, more seriously. I understand everything. But when, you want me to write a letter? You want me to write an essay? Oh, hell no. I, by the way, if it That's makes you feel any happen. better, even the people I know who, even myself, who've like been taught formally how to speak Arabic and write Arabic, like how to write a letter, how to write a taqrir, how to write an email in Arabic is, are things you learn at work. You do not, like you've had 12 years yeah. of Arabic فعل مفعول مفعول به وبأخير اليوم لما بدك تكتب إيميل لمديرك يفتح الله ما في Think, okay, I feel so much better because if you give me Arab, I'm epic Arab. Like, I, I remember that stuff. But why did they not help us apply it to functional, you know, functional performance? Like, right now, I do some private work in Saudi Arabia virtually right now, and one of the moms was asking me for a taqrir. I felt horrible when I told her I can't do it in Arabic, and I almost felt arrogant. You know, mm. I told her, I'm sorry, but I can only do it in English. You do all your treatment in Arabic with us. And 
I, I, I was too ashamed to tell her that it's because I don't know how. I told her, لا هو كده. That's it. أحسن لك في الإنجليزي. That's a sh- what a shameful mi- statement I made because this mother's right as a purely Arabic speaking mother has a right to an Arabic speaking Arabic report. You know, why should, why should I impose language when you're in the Middle East and all of your physicians and doctors, I'm sure they read English, but medicine doesn't need to be English. Like, mm. so I felt horrible. To be, I don't know, you know, one of the things that really bother me is that when I think about like the formation of language and how I started communicating as a person. So I barely spoke English when I was 12, 13. My English was abysmal. I, when I say I barely spoke it, I mean, I barely spoke it. Like You're a kidding. sentence, I could not form a sentence when I was 12, 13. It was shit. It was really bad. And I started picking up reading and I started kind of immersing myself into Western culture to like learn how to communicate mm-hmm. and how to speak and how to write in English. And until now, by the way, my grammar is really poor. And it was mainly because I was never taught proper grammar. I went to Saudi school. They taught it later. I went to a better Saudi school. They taught it earlier. And then I went to IB school and they were like eons ahead. So I never learned how to do grammar properly mm-hmm. at all. And like my essay writing skills like only became decent when I was in 12th grade university. And it was because of how much like screaming I got from my teachers and how much effort I required to put into my writing. And the biggest reason of like why I was taught English and I have a good jargon (laughs) in trying to explain myself, if that makes any sense, is because of the music I listened to and the books I read and the TVs I watched. But when you think about these contents in Arabic, you know what? I really struggle to find music that I like in Arabic. I really struggle to find movies I like in Arabic. And part of it is because I don't find representation. And the biggest part is because, you know what? They're shit. Arabic content is uh, of lower quality than Western content. And there are reasons behind it, such as funding, such as the space to create, um, the opportunity to create, the platforms that are not, yeah, as like of... When back then, when we were growing up, now it has improved. Now we have a lot more content. But when we think about back then, you know what? We didn't. And when I think, for example, when it comes to like the argument of music, when someone gives me the whole um, music back in the day is so much better music than like modern day, I would tell them, you know what? In English, I completely disagree. I keep finding more and more interesting music to listen to. But when it comes to Arabic, you know what? It is shit. New Arabic music is utter garbage. We've had the same top artists for the past 20 years. We do not see variety. We do not see anything new. And that is why I'm personally turned off from from Arabic music, even though I go out of my way to search for music, to search for Arabic books. But I keep finding myself listening to Um Kathum and Abdul Wahab and Fairuz. And Mm -hmm. you know what? I don't want to have to go through like a history tunnel to find good music to try to touch yeah. base with my culture or to have to like read yeah. Nizar Qabbani and Muhammad Darwish, Mahmoud Darwish sorry to like find myself fascinated by language so you know what yeah. it's I hate saying this That's, but even the people who barely speak English are also watching western movies do not convince me otherwise so you know what I don't blame myself that much but the only Arabic I read is the news like what can I I'm not going to keep talking about news all the time yeah exactly there's not there's gotta be more and I completely agree with everything that you're saying I mean when it comes to Arabic music I'm very 
obsessed with Muhammad Abdu. Um, like that, I mean, I say that because right now it's been a month where that's all I've been listening to. And ever since Good I choice. moved, thank you. Um, ever since I moved to the States, I realized that I've appreciated Arabic music more. Although like Um Kathum and Fairuz, listen, my dad comes from a musical family. That's what we were raised on. Um, but my, my love for Arabic music has increased ever since I moved here. And that's something that maybe mm. we can talk about later. My connection with my Arab culture increased when I was away from the Middle East. Ever since I moved here, I took a proactive approach similar to you. I was looking for new Arabic music and I realized, really? Telat is where we're going to stop? Good song. Oh my God, stop. Do not. <laughs> this is Arab. Listen. Listen. Oh, Listen, Obama. <laughs> Listen, Obama. <laughs> This oh song does not get mentioned on my fucking podcast. You oh understand? I, I had a it is a horrible song. It is it's a, not, a, this it's is, not that bad. It is a shit. No, no, it is bad. It is a <laughs> shitty song. The melody is shit. The beat is shit. The song. It is a shitty song. And if you try to convince me otherwise, I'm unfriending you. It is a poor. Oh it's really. It's a really bad song. Like okay, it, you play it on a wedding, and I'm in. I'm fine. I'm gonna dance. I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna subhanallah enjoy the song, and I'm like gonna feel every tlat the art. But you know what? It is a shitty song, and the fact that it was like the biggest hit for like two years tells you of how much music we are missing. Exactly. I am. I'm triggered. Hashtag like, triggered. I'm sorry. <laughs> the meme. No, but you know, like honestly, um, I have epic memory skills. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I can remember things that happened to me in second grade. I'll never forget, I was in a really Saudi school, like really Saudi school in second grade. And I, again, growing up in a musical family, music was a big deal in my life. I'll never forget how um, hopeful I was for Saudi culture because, or Arabic mm -hmm. music culture at that time, because you had Amr Diab. I don't care what you say, I freaking love Amr Diab. And at that time- Old stuff. Yeah, the old, old stuff, stuff, old stuff. Not the DJ remix stuff that he's Oh my doing. god, what is that stupid Bahibak uh, Bahibi Burj al Oh my god, Burj whatever. That's stupid. <laughs> Triggered know. again. But so, and then at that time, Abdul Majid Abdullah was big. So I was like, yo, this oh, I is. I still love him. He's I, one of the few ones who are still good. Exactly. So having those representatives in Arabic music on top of the traditional stuff, I was like, yeah, I could totally get integrated into this culture. I'm kind of over the Hansons and Backstreet Boys anyway. So <laughs> at that time, in the early 90s, I was so hopeful for Arabic culture, music-wise. But now, besides Abdul Majid Abdullah, it's nothing. There's, and you know what? I'm not a musicologist. I I don't know what is happening these days, but I know for a fact that nothing has been sparking my interest. And um, it sucks. By because, the way, yeah. one of one of the like the most common trends that I've seen when it comes to like modern Arab music, this is. I know this is like a big digression. I don't know if it is or it's appropriate to the topic, but it's something that I'm like, I feel very passionate about is that the only few Arabic bands that are doing well are part of Western record companies mm -hmm. like Habibi Funk. I have a lot of beef with that Habibi Funk thing. And also, for example, Tinarwin, which is a very popular uh, Tawarig band, mm. is represented by a Western company. Uh, Tut Ard, which is another popular, um, their new album I liked. Um, Tut Ard, they're also owned by a Western company, represented, sorry, by a Western company that represents world music, yeah. quote, unquote, Lord. which is basically two white people 
you know who's, what they're like two white I don't people even need who, to explain who studied Middle Eastern studies at university and now they know the tabla <gasps> uh, uh, trigger, the, trigger. Li- I know but listen this is their colonial cannolialism cannolis not cannolis basically in, in the western Are culture you I'm very hungry <laughs> colonialism of of music yeah. yeah it's it's in music and look yeah. look if you look at history arab countries became more quote unquote successful when westerners came to help them and that's not a bad thing look at lebanon yeah. france and france look at the emirates and the british Oh, I, I don't. I don't know if it's if it's a good example to be honest. Like, really? there's a lot to unfold there. No, there's there's a lot to unfold there when it like comes to like like political Western influence and invasion. And like, there's let's not tap into that now, honestly, because I think that was like a an old, like a a black hole in itself. Yeah. But um, like, you know what, there's one of the biggest problems is like, for example, like there's a big movement of indie bands in mm-hmm. Jordan. And Beautiful. it's quite popular. I personally not the biggest fan. I feel like there's a few songs that I like, but they're basically all trying to recreate Radiohead's OK Computer. Mm-hmm. That's really my theory. So and, I- and all of what they're doing, but like mainly it's, they don't, they all have day jobs. None of them are musicians full time. We do not have the space for people to be musicians full time. It is extremely difficult to be a musician in the Arab world. Even if you're classically trained, yeah. It is it is really difficult. Like if you look at Abdul Majid Abdullah, he, like he's had the same background musicians since the 80s. Yeah. The faces has not changed. Mm-hmm. If you go to like Abu Bakr Salim videos, it's the same people who are playing with his son. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to make money as a musician. Yeah. So yeah. you know what? Now people are investing in art and stuff, but it's our culture is not getting invested in. No. And that is why we are these idiots who speak in English all the time. Yeah, I'm but just blaming them. I know. There goes another shahata for them. But... Oh, you know what we should do? We need to create a shahata spectrum. So there's like, it goes from hotel slipper to ub'ab. To, yeah. Ob- wait, is that a Palestinian word? What's an ub'ab? Like a clog. A clog? Oh, no, okay. that's not a clog. It's called a clog, huh? I think so. You see, guys, this the is, wooden, the wooden thing. This is why Arab countries can't get along because there's legit shit we don't understand from one another. Let's just call it. Is it? I don't think it. So, be, like, تعرفي ال ال الشحاطات اللي بيكونوا خشب. Yeah. هدول. اللي بيستعملوهم إن مثلاً شامي حمامات. Yes. Okay. That's an ubab. And that is your Arabic lesson for the day. I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but so yeah. like from hotel slipper to abab yeah and the, and the in-between point would be the shahata you wear when you go for umrah like you know the classic blue Zanuba. plastic one yeah Zanuba. Oh, wait, no, not, not even okay there's like somewhere it needs to be those like adidas slippers that that that's if you're like high we're class like, okay we're th- we've been talking we're talking too much about shabashib right now i know sorry i, I get <laughs> really excited over <laughs> Play it. Okay, like an eight that. would be a Birkenstock, and like a three, four would be like a Zanuba. Tamam. And like a five is basically um, what's it called? The Saudi one. Naal. The Khaliji Saudi one. Not Naal. Like Naal is Naal, but like the like is are they called Midas? I think so. You're asking the wrong like Abu Usba? person. Like I Abu Usba. <laughs> I really thought those were called Naal. Again, guys, this is why. <laughs> Uh, this is like we are representing the case and point of, of our dilemma here. <laughs> Unqualified advice for the day. Yeah. <laughs> but um, okay, so we'll, we'll we'll use that 
Nan, ship ship, whatever spectrum. But tell me, who do you want to throw the ship ship to? You don't even tell me that. Who is the ship ship going to today? Ya binti, ya binti, ya binti. I would like to throw it at society. Mm. Oh, I'd like to throw it at people who don't wear a fucking mask. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about people who do not, like, are following CDC regulation of, um, of that? I want to also, like, throw it at the lack of opportunity for journalists in the Middle East. And I'd also, like, really like to throw a proper ab at myself for being a lazy person. That's a lot of throwing. That's... <laughs> I am. I have strong upper body skills. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but let's just say emotionally, I can. Um, there's a lot of uh, shoe throwing that I'd like to. I'm. I'd be stealing that shabashib from the masjid and like just throwing exactly. it at people. <laughs> Listen, let's talk about the mask first. I'm in the capital of uh, the old capital of Corona, New York City was hit pretty bad. Mm. But I'm also in the nation uh, that is run by a bunch of Karens who think freedom of speech involves wearing a mask. It's my right not to wear a mask. Go fuck yourself. Go, you know what, you wanna die? Go ahead, you'll be doing us a favor. That's very aggressive of me to say, but- Let's not talk about that. Oh my God, I can't, I can't. And then there's the other- This is a Karen-free zone. Yeah, but there's the other (laughs) side of the spectrum where you have these 20-year-old NYU students, like the Beckys, going, oh my god, there's something so sexy about covering your face. Oh, now you're not calling it female oppression? Shut the fuck up, man. Sit oh, down. Oh, oh. Did you see the whole, fr- like, France being like, uh, niqabs are not allowed, but please wear mask. I, I died. I died. Yeah. It was hilarious. It is the joke of the century, where France is, like, oppressively, like, if you are covering your face for religious reasons, astaghfirullah. Yeah. How dare you? Haram. My How dare God. you? How dare you? <laughs> J'accuse. My God. No, it's, it's, uh, listen, the Western world, well, actually, even the Arab world, it's all contra- contradictions. They're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. I, I totally get that. But when you're talking about saving other people's lives, just shut the fuck up and do what the scientists are telling you to do. You know, science tells you to go on the keto diet and you go on science. it immediately. Wait, 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 wait. Science is a communist. <laughs> no, damn it. I wanted to make a joke, but it failed. Okay, no one knows. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Science is a communist plot. <laughs> wait, but I'm a scientist, though. I know, but, like, we gotta, we gotta shit on science, even though... Oh, to, like, um... Okay, so to, uh, <clears throat> uh, to touch base again, uh, let's talk about France and cultural identity. Because I feel like, as a person who comes from Lebanon, you have to talk about the whole Franco-Lebanese obsession. <sighs> Look, it comes from the fact that France colonized them for a long time so i feel like i i mean you could say the same for countries in africa that speak french um yeah and you know what i feel like we need to also mention the whole petition that like had over fifty thousand signatures wanting for the mandate system to go back how fucked up are we to ask for colonization again but listen, this is where you, I think you're going to hang up on me. I, I have lost confidence in my own people. You know, like the fact that we can't even run a government together because of this, the, the sectarian government that we have. And again, look, guys, I'm not good at politics. I'm actually quite ignorant when it comes to politics. I don't know what to do or say. But I've, I've lost faith 
if a Christian Arab and a Muslim Arab, not even, if a Sunni and a Shia can't have dinner together, then you really want them to be able to run a country? So when they were talking about, oh, let's have the Westerners who have absolutely nothing to do with us come and control us again, I was like, mm, maybe that would help because Arabs are fucking stupid when it comes to one another. Enough with Honestly, the judgment. Honestly, no, I... I agree, but I agree of like, you know, the whole, um, uh, what's his name? Hawkslow's, uh, pyramid of necessities. I, I need, I forgot what that is exactly called, but Wait, it's, you mean Maslow's hierarchy you, of needs? Yes. Yes. That is exactly. <laughs> thank you. Scientist. Thank you. Scientist for stepping in and saving my ass. And I will keep this part in because we are all a work in progress and we can all do it. mistakes. But, um, so basically, if a mandate government means people will have food on the table, I will take it. I will take it because people are starving. People have no access to food. Mm-hmm. And that is messed up. That is not okay. You know what? That is not okay. But it's just driving me insane because we're still resorting for, I mean, but also one of the other things that to like think about, I feel like the successful activists and people who have done political change in the Middle East have all been of a Western education background, had mm-hmm. a Western education background. When you think about, um, oh God, I can't remember her name, but like a, there's a feminist Lebanese uh, from the family Islam. I completely forgot her name. Um, I will um, put her name in the description. One of my good um, friends from that family, so I just ask him. She's his great aunt. Oh! Hi, this is Ali from the future. I just want to mention the name of the person that we were talking about. Her name is Amber Islam. I repeat, Amber Islam. And uh, so, yeah, back to the scheduled program. Sorry. Oh, yeah, wait, we, yeah. we both know this person. I forgot. Yeah, we both know this person. Yeah. Um, she's a very important feminist figure, and she's one of the first people to not wear a hijab in university. And she's, like, she's, her accolades are amazing. I will put her name in the description. Mm-hmm. But she had a very long journey in the West where she got a Western education, got to travel the world, got to travel Europe. And that was when she brought her feminist ideals back. And yes. Can I relate that to, or can I have a share my theory on why that tends to happen? Yes, please. It is a conversation after all. Yeah, I know. I know. But this is me being super nice because I don't want to be intrusive and I need to respect my airtime. But anyways, oh my God. similar to what I was saying You're earlier, not Arab. You're not Arab right now. You need to scream your way in. You know what I was called the other day? By the I'm digressing. I was called a chicken nugget. I was tan on the I was tan on the outside, but white on the inside. And that is a chicken nugget. <clears throat> Let me <clears throat> say something Arabic. <clears throat> Aha. I know. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, my theory about the Western education and feminists. Similar to my identity and my relation to my identity as an Arab was strengthened when I left the Middle East. When I came to the Western world, which is somewhat objective, plain, I had a better platform on which I could create my identity and rebuild my identity as an Arab. So I feel like for us getting Western education, we realized, oh my God, there's so much that we need to do for back home. And because we're far away from home, we compensate. There's something that I read today that was so fascinating. It was um, a post by We the Loft um, by she's a or 
She's one of the owners of The Loft, which is a creative agency that is currently in Lebanon that started in Saudi Arabia. And she said something, and I quote, because I'm reading mm. it right now. Living away from home gave me perspective. Being used to it doesn't make it normal. I agree. Oh my God. And that is, I think, what you mean when you talk about being outside of your country and understanding what where you come from and how it's not normal and how things need to change. I completely agree. And this reminds me of um, when I first moved for university. I was 17 when I went to university. My mom and dad threw me to Montreal, Canada. Um, and it was tough. And I remember crying to my mom, Mama, why couldn't we come from a country that could treat its citizens well? Why couldn't I come from a country that had good universities, good education, and good opportunities for its citizens. Why does everyone in the Arab world have to leave just to get a decent education? And that, and it kills me until today. Like I envy, I almost envy the, this sounds really bad what I'm about to say. I envy the kids who had no choice but to stay in Saudi Arabia. Because I moved all over the world, I legit have no idea where I'm supposed to settle. I don't know where to call home. Like, do I go back to Saudi? I kind of wish, and by the way, I tried living in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah, after I finished my master's degree. I tried, and I lasted eight months. It was almost too late. I outgrew my own home. I don't think it's outgrowing your own home. Jeddah was a difficult place to live in back then. I've Listen, it has become one of the best places to live in right now, in these days, after a lot of change. It has really changed. And also I've, yeah. oh, so like regarding this, I can tell you a, a personal anecdote. So I, this westernized Arab who is this niche and cool person when she comes to London and a person who is both Western and Arab and who is like Medical. exotic and interesting to white people. I'm air quoting the whole time as I say this. And I would kind of be envious of of like women's lives mm. in London like everything has its own problems I will keep elaborating and saying this there are pros and cons to living everywhere but I would always have this dilemma where I would like sit in a double-decked bus in London at like 2 a.m which I do not recommend doing I was stupid I've done that and I would be like listening to Um Kalthum singing into Umri and it would be like pouring rain outside and I would be like but my culture but exactly. freedom but my culture but freedom and I would like to naturally like cry on the top deck of a bus at 2 a.m which is really the only appropriate thing to do at that time in that place and I would be like like the bus would be driving around London to try to get me to my Airbnb or wherever I am or my dorm and it would be raining and like Um Kalthum is like in and uh, I need to fight for Um Kalthum uh, like and actually that's kind of where like Lola Jarti was born <laughs> but it's uh, yeah it's it's really that it's it's about struggling with your identity as a feminist and oh, that's why it, it is called Mashruana Sawi Fashion when I you first it. read it yeah and I just I really struggle I really struggle to kind of know where am I supposed to feel home and honestly I feel at home with my big curly hair listening to 
Um Kalthum, <laughs> sipping my vegan coffee or listening to some punk band from Brighton while drinking my chai with Nana. Like it's, I feel represented in that kind of combination. But I, you know what? It's, I feel pain and trying to understand who I am as much as I feel pain trying to just Mm -hmm. process what is happening politically around the region. And that is one of the topics that I really want to talk about. And one of the things that we talked about before we started recording is, are you allowed to feel pain regarding the explosion that happened in Lebanon, Mm -hmm. regarding the bombs that are having in Gaza? Are you allowed to feel like it's part of you? Is are you even allowed to have survival guilt? Like, like, did you actually survive it? Is that what it is? You know, from what I said in the beginning of today's conversation, apparently not. It actually depends on how it's on how Lebanese or how Palestinian or how uh, Libyan or Tunisian you are. I'm talking about all the countries that were affected in the past six years or how Syrian you are. So, like I said, when I said in oh my god, how, has been so affected I in know. the past six months. Like, you don't you even have to go that Syria, far. Can you believe it's been like six, seven years right now and people have totally forgotten that there's a civil war happening? Um, so when it comes to that, am I allowed to feel? That's why I threw the shahata at my friend because apparently I wasn't allowed to feel pain for a country that is in my blood because I wasn't Lebanese enough. And when I talk about Gaza, it's like, oh, of course you're allowed because the whole world is with Gaza. Okay, so the next, to answer the next question, what can you do something about it? Well, apparently the only thing you could do right now is donate, which is good. But no, make sure you show off that you fucking donated on Instagram. And I had this remind, this is another shahat that needs to be thrown. And one of my friends commented on my Instagram, how are you posting about donuts? By the way, I'm obsessed with donuts. How are you posting about donuts when people Lebanon are starving? Okay, police, you know, like social police. Oh I can post. Who said that, by the way? Is it no, a white person? Arabian. Please tell me it's a white person. <laughs> like, that's what I was shocked about. Yelan. Into, into Yelan. The- you know what? Regarding culture, I feel like when you do a mistake, you're Palestinian. When you do something right, yeah. you're not Palestinian. Or vice versa. If you are an accomplished scientist, suddenly you're Palestinian. But if you do something that is not okay for white people, suddenly they oh, acknowledge you as a Palestinian. To- they will only see you in a way that benefits them. But that's also with every nation. Like when I dress up nicely and I have gotten this comment from another fellow Arab. Actually, no, wait, Moroccans don't identify themselves as Arab, right? Apparently. I'm not going to get into that. Sometimes they're bad, but sometimes they're, yeah. So I dressed up really nicely and she goes, oh, I could totally tell that you're Saudi just by the way that you're dressed up. So classy and like, you know, conservative. Ooh. Oh I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Conservative. But then, God forbid I hide my yeah, tits. Exactly. God forbid. <laughs> so, and then when it's something great, like, or it was something bad, like a spelling mistake that I made on a report once, and my boss was like, oh, I guess it's because English is your second language and you grew up in Saudi Arabia. Homeboy, I know better English than you. <laughs> so, it's... And, you know, talking about the are you allowed to have pain, obviously, look, we're all human at the end of the day, but it's the how can we feel bad where I get caught? And do we even need to show people that? We're going to even... Wait, there's a hierarchy to pain at the moment. Like, there's some pain cooler than other pain. Is that what we're saying? There's trendy pain. 
There's trendy pain, there's deep pain, there's proactive pain, there's silent pain, some call it gas, <laughs> you know, it's, it, like, and it really sucks because um, the, the level of pain that I feel is being orchestrated by social circles. That shouldn't be the case. Pain should be whatever I want to make it to feel. Whether I'm going to show off that I donated to Lebanon, I'm not going to do that. Since when is Takabur okay? How do, you, how do you feel about generational trauma? <sighs> I definitely feel it because my... Yeah. Asai is the correct answer. <laughs> Asai is the correct answer. <laughs> I, look, there's dysfunctional and functional generational trauma. I'd like to say that I'm maybe functional because, again, I grew up listening to my grandparents' stories about their farms in Palestine. Um, and no matter what you tell me, my generational trauma comes in my side when you ask me about Israel and Palestine. So that's, that's functional. Dysfunctional is not, not doing anything about it. Uh, sorry, I, I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, I definitely feel it. My dad survived the civil war, but I'm not using it as an excuse for things in my own life. I use it as a reference point. Um, I use my grandparents' story about their Palestinian farms as a reference point when I talk to an Israeli and I say, listen, I have reservations about your country, but I'm still willing to treat you like a human being, depending on what you say to me next. You know? The thing is, like, the way we were, we were loved by our parents, the way we were treated by our jobs, all of that, like, a big part of it is due to generational trauma. Like, Arabs, or rather, sorry, Palestinians' approach to tough love is heavily derivative of how fucked up their own childhoods were. Yeah. And personally, I feel like that has contributed negatively to my own mental health. And you know what? I wish I wish the older generation had the opportunity, the awareness, the education to deal with it. But you know what? We are left with this giant garbage bag, rather garbage island, garbage something, <laughs> to sort through and to try to deal with. But it's without support. And even when you try to find support in other people who are hurt, like everyone has their own set of problems, mm -hmm. how are you going to figure it out? How are you going to fix yourself to help the future generation? For all of our generation who's having kids, how are you yeah. fixing the mistakes? You know what's funny? So my mom, I, I'm very lucky that my parents uh, learned from the mistakes of their very authoritarian parents. The tough love. I got tough love from my grandmother, but she passed away at Leirham when I was 13. But, uh, but my mom has told me several times she never wanted to raise me the way my grandma raised her. Mm. Super strict, super tough Palestinian love because she acknowledged that it messed up with her mental health. So I was basically the experiment <laughs> to, to my mother. She raised my brother a certain way, but then I was the first daughter of the family. And that's when the switch um, that's where she hit the switch where, you know what, I'm not going to raise my daughter the way my grandparents, my, my parents raised me. So as an experiment, it was constant trial and error. And again, this contributes to my identity crisis because my mom will be okay with me doing one thing, but then the next thing I do is it. So I always, I'm, you know, like I, I couldn't, I never knew what was okay with my parents when it comes to dating. You know, obviously that was like a big no, oh my God. hell no, you're not dating. 
But you can go out and have coffee with your friend who's a boy. Listen, the whole like, oh my god, this whole dating thing. So personally, for me, I've never um, never had a boyfriend, um, and one of like even though I do not adopt the same mentality my parents do, not at all. I have not been able to shake off that one. That is, I have not been able to shake mm. off that one. It's it's really weird because like I really do not identify with 99.99% of the, the way they think. Like we have certain values, mm-hmm. like respect, like family, like all of that, that I believe in, that I adopt. But when it comes to romantic relationships, I have not been able to figure it out, especially that I grew up in the Arab world where dating, like there's no, like khil'a khil'a min Allah, all over the world, mm. there's no rule book to dating. But when it comes to the Middle East, it's like a fucking jungle. Like, do I, yeah. if I go out with a date, my reputation will be tarnished. And um, is the boy that I'm going to date, is he a person who's going to dump me because he wants to marry traditional, but like he wants to have fun? Like, am I going to have respect? Exactly. What Like, is this person actually good? Like, what is, like, you can't navigate through the, like the social masks that are the younger generations wear. You can't see through it. And also you cannot protect yourself. And also you can't find a way to find a mate for the rest of your life. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. so difficult. It is so difficult. And you find yourself not loved by your parents, not loved by your boyfriend, Uh not loved by your friend. Just, just kill yourself. Just kill yourself. Just do that. So don't do that. When I was in Saudi, no, don't worry. I'm too lazy to do that. (laughs) This is trigger warning. Trigger (laughs) warning. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. When I was living in Jeddah, and like when I was there as an adult, I was 28 years old, halasa masters, so naturally my parents were like, you know what's next? I was like, oh shit. shit. But I was very open to it, whatever. So I struggled because it was the same conflict. Like I would would go out for coffee with these guys and I knew their intentions was, let's just duck duck goose. Let's fuck fucking just go marry traditional. Definitely not my game. I know. (laughs) you know so it was just it was a horror show in saudi because even though jeddah and this was i'm talking 2014 Mm. so jeddah started to it was already okay people would go out on dates and then like back then it was really um fashionable to go grab a date at a gallery oh my god (laughs) i have to admit listen listen saudi artists though beautiful women freaking hot man man and it was always in winter so they'd be wearing like a thobe shitwe and i was like oh my god that's so sexy. i do not identify with okay. anything you're saying i i know but this is why we're different okay. oh my god can so, I, feel, I need to interrupt again, to tell you something the other day i was like telling my yeah, friends i'm me. like i recently started finding men in like thobes attractive but all i can think about is like there's no sexy way to remove a thobe <laughs> it's like you just have to play an extended version of a sexy song <laughs> I'm just going. <laughs> yeah, the, like exactly. Extended version. The 50 Saudi, minutes. Saudi edition. 50 minutes of Um Exactly. Um, but listen, so even when dating Saudi men, I, I vowed ever since I was born, I think, I was never going to marry a Palestinian or a Lebanese. Because mm. I'm way too, too dipshit for a Lebanese man. And I'm way too... I like to spend money, so that would kill a Palestinian man. And Mohim, I love how we're just inflicting so, stereotypes. We're like the whole time is like we do not like to be stereotypes, but like. Uh. <laughs> what did I say? I said that we're all we're all. Hypocrite. 
But when I decided to move to New York City, and when I told my mom, the first thing she said was, oh, يعني ما حتتزوجي. Oh my God. Until I had a New York to find oh love. And I told her, Mama, I'm not going to New York to find love. I'm going to New York because I'm done with trying to find love here. I can't. Listen, I'm not going to get a green card to like have find love. I'm not I'm not about to do that. <laughs> Look, if, I um, صراحة, if you I... are single, emotionally unavailable and you like Led Zeppelin, call me. <laughs> Write a comment in the section. Sure. <laughs> Please be emotionally unavailable and ready to like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But and you know I it, it took me a couple of years with alhamdulillah I did find a person oh, oh, oh. she's engaged you guys she got engaged like a few days ago so Wait, I can't clap I don't want to ruin the audio <laughs> but thank you guys yeah it only took 33 years to find your oh per- wait wait oh, man, can I, I oh, it's fine but by the way science tells us that that is the perfect age to get married really 29 to, to 32 33 is the be- perfect age to get married Because at that point, I agree. you know what you want. You have uh, mm-hmm. tried, you have searched. And uh, most importantly, the part of your brain that makes logical decisions is developed after 27. That's true. Not, yeah, that's basically it. I, it science fact, it's called our frontal lobe. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Actually. A, yeah, I'm a neuroscientist, so I have to like just specify. Um, and I totally agree <laughs> because if you were to tell me, my mom got married at 24, which is considered late for her generation. Mm. 24, Alia, I, I wouldn't trust I'm 24 myself. now. I can't do this. I'm sorry, but no, it's not time for you. Do not. Do not. <laughs> thing is, thing is like, I am, I am a liberal-ish person. I have very liberal views, but I still am conservative. I believe in monogamy. I believe in long-term commitment i am interested in these things i'm not interested in fast love no like no like it's not my thing i i still respect the arabic views of marriage Mm -hmm. it's still a big part of what i want but i'm just struggling to find someone who has the same halal haram ratio as me Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love that Because also, where are you going to find them? Like, you barely go out. You barely socialize. And the people who are out and about in the Arab world are usually the people who are not looking for the same things that you are. Mm-hmm. It is, um, I think, I think I'm going to die single. Like, this no. is how I feel, even though I'm 24. Or, I don't know. How did you snatch your husband or fiance? We're not there yet. I, what's so funny is when I tell people that I met him at a party, they don't believe me. Because in New York City, everybody does online dating which I do not recommend unless you want to do an interview every single day. I met him at a party. It was so funny. It was a Lebanese cultural night. So I was a representative. <laughs> I, I brought tabbouleh. I know. I brought tabbouleh. I know. And I brought tabbouleh. And then, so he's not Arab, but he's Muslim, which like, Honestly, it made a That's difference. That's kind of what we need. Yeah. Like, this is what we need. So, um, and what helped was that This he... is really the only box you need to tick. Let's be real. <laughs> All right. So, I met him at a, at a party. He has the same halal haram ratio in the sense that we were mingling with boys and girls. Um, he was flirting a little bit. And we just clicked. And he was interesting because, no, he wasn't Arab, but he was Muslim. So, and I, I hold my religion very, very dear to me. And... That was something that I could never do with a non-Arab guy. Like, even if it was a, a Lebanese Christian, and it wasn't until I dated a Lebanese Christian person where I realized, oh my God, I actually really love my religion. And this person is never going to understand the beauty of Ramadan, the beauty of Eid and the sacrifices that you have to do. 
So with him, I th- and just this last Ramadan, I realized this is definitely how I want to spend the rest of my life. He acknowledged how beautiful it is. And yeah, we were both fasting and yelling at each other over the phone. <laughs> so I'm lucky that he's interesting enough that he's not Arabi. He's, he's, he's Indian-Canadian. So I get, I get to learn about a completely different culture, which is amazing. But the Islamic part is still there. So I still have a base, you know, something that we can both relate to. Do you ever to. feel... Do you ever feel ashamed for being whitewashed? A hundred percent. But you know what? I only feel that feeling when I come back to the Middle East, when I come visit, when I come to work. It's my Arab coworkers in Jeddah who I work with who remind me and who make me feel ashamed. Uh, one of uh, the other things that we talk about. So before before we move to the next point, I kind of like I feel that shamefulness, and I especially feel that whenever, like. It it took privilege for me to be educated the way that I was educated. And unfortunately, in the Middle East, a good, quote unquote, good education is equated with a Western education. 100%. And that's been the case from Yanni Minhon like a hundred years back. It's been the case if you are... If you are well off, you are studying French in Lebanon. If you are well off, you're studying French in Egypt. If you're well off, you're like going to IB schools. Mm-hmm. Even if you are not of a good financial background, your parents will pay to put you in such schools. Yeah. And whenever I talk the way that I talk, I know that I am very lucky and then very privileged and I feel ashamed of that. And at the same time, as a person who I feel responsible for having to represent myself well in society for the sake of improving whatever, or just to to do what you need to do as a human being to contribute, I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like I'm really lacking. Just like the fact that with this conversation, this entire podcast is not happening in Arabic makes me feel a bit like sad. But... I, I, I really wish that I can reach a point in my life where I feel comfortable to just be who I am. Mm-hmm. To Whenever I'm in front of a white person to just say my name is Alia and not Alia. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think they can hear the difference. But to just be so unashamed of where I come from, whether I'm mentioning that I'm Arab in the West or that I'm westernized in Arabia. But I, um, I don't know. I feel... I feel really bad. I feel really, really bad. And I don't know how to um, fix it. And uh, I kind of feel guilty every single time I listen to a song that's in English. <laughs> I, I, I don't. It's just better. But this is obviously minus the, the traditional music that we listen to. But that's completely different. Listen, I don't think I can listen to it. Like, I don't think there's enough Talal Maddah to like, to like, Fic, like tip the scale of like the amount of English that I listen to because like honestly there's this new album oh my god Aida it's so good it's so good it's so Ooh, good what? it's called What's Your Pleasure by Jesse Ware and when I say it's like one of the best albums I've listened to in 2020 so far I mean it's one of the best albums I've listened to in 2020 That's so far it's a disco groove album in 2020 and it's done so well and it's like sexy and it's like erotic but it's also like really cool and it's really groovy and every song is a hit after a hit after a hit and I'm like honestly I even I'm not gonna lie even when an Arabic band is not that good I still buy their album to like to because honestly listen I can't there's not enough Mashroor Layla to like listen to to feel like there's modern stuff and also 
<laughs> I have a confession. <laughs> that was so, so close. I have a confession to make. Yes. I really don't like Mishra Leila. I love everything that they're they not... represent. I love everything they represent. Listen, they're not for everyone. And I don't think they're... Um, I think they, they have potential. They have a long way to go. I think their raw, older stuff is better. I personally prefer it more. I think Shimmel Yasmin is one of the best Arabic songs written f- ever. Mm. I really feel strongly about it. Just the rawness of the lyrics, how the... Um, gay themes kind of unfold through it like even that playfulness of Arabic language that manipulation of gender in Arabic language is beautiful even if you are not supportive of the LGBTQ community which a lot of my audience aren't but you can you can still you can still appreciate it and I just like just the part with like just when he says Shimmel Yasmin do a dips I'm like oh I feel it I feel it in my bone like yeah. they have really good old stuff that is so good but then their newer stuff is too polished is too processed and i personally don't like it as an arab don't you feel like you're sometimes forced to like these up-and-coming bands so i feel ashamed like look at the way i told you i feel ashamed for not liking these bands i went to a mishra leila concert just because i was like whatever i did too yeah like i'll consider it a donation you know, that, like that's, I had to think of it that way. They're really I'm, good life. They're really good life. They are. They are. They're really Look, good life. They're entertainers, that's for sure. But I felt guilt tripped. Like, I was like, I have to. Okay. But then I went there. I was like, this is so good entertainment. But you would never catch me listening to them. And I feel bad because, again, it's hard to do what they're doing in our culture. Yeah, they don't. Like, Hamid Sinu the other day was on his story talking about how he can't afford rent right now. Aren't they all architects? So it's, they, they are. They are. Some of them dropped out of the band early on. But uh, Hamid Sinu, who's the lead singer, um, has recently literally just said, I can't afford rent at the moment. You left the donation on Insta. <laughs> I don't, you know what, but I agree. Like, for example, like the Jordanian indie bands, mm. I only like a few songs from a single band. They're called Murabba and they're the exception. And I've listened to everything. Everything sounds processed. And when I say they're trying to all do OK Computer, I mean it. They're all yeah. trying to do OK Computer. Like, we get it. You had a phase in the 90s and you're still trying to recreate it. But for the love of God, like, get first of all drop that synth put that synth away try, yeah. stop trying to do dubke music okay no. and also like don't tune your guitar in one way please just do yeah. anything just change just change please please i beg you i cannot keep affording this buying this I mean, music that is i know shit. but it's, it, it sucks that you know musicians and look i'm a musician as well we strive like our standard is a western standard oh we'll be good if we sound like okay computer why are we setting that as a standard? But like, here's here's my issue when it comes to... Oh God, I have so many issues when it comes to Arabic music. But for me personally, as a, a like I'm a big audiophile, like I consume so much music. I, cons- I don't play an instrument, but I consume so much music. And as I grew older, my taste in music has become like, I like rougher sounds. I like mm-hmm. experimental stuff. When I look for art, I keep trying to find things that challenge my perception of beauty and this Mm -hmm. is a sentence that I keep using again and again 
I keep finding Arabic music to be more mediocre. Like there's this even like Abadi Al Johar, his newer stuff is very much typical Arabic stuff with like like yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but like <laughs> like always a violin crying in the background. No, no, not not like even the violin. Like you know how like Hamad Hamai like sings an Arabic song, but like has like like western sounds like in the back that don't even like fit in but it's just trying to be like modern and that's that's every Amru Diab song that Mm is Amru Diab since 2007 like there's there's nothing refreshing and nobody does albums they only do singles and I have like such nostalgia for like old school full projects and honestly Sadlim Jarrad ah please stop please 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 stop listening like he does like one song and it's a hit or what's his name Hamad Ramadan like stop your songs are shit please Mm. please it is my opinion a lot of people love you but like please give me something interesting and there are like there's the Tut Ard album that I've been listening to it's really fun I don't think it's the most well done Arabic music but it's the most experimental I've seen so far the most ambitious they really enjoyed it mm. and they have like one song that's like really funny and fun and I like that and I just whenever oh, like please God just give me something to make me proud of my culture I'm not asking for much like there's not enough Edward Said to like to make me feel proud of being Arab you know mm. I just I mean just regarding Edward Said like honestly it took a Palestinian American to like write the book on how Arabs are represented like it took a half American person <laughs> to like tell you how to do this if yeah. oh god okay you know what we need to end this it's been over an hour and I don't oh have like the vo- like the vocal capacity to keep ranting and talk about how Arabic music is shit or like and also shame. can we talk about how all Arabs weddings look exactly the same can we talk about Arab beauty stand? Oh, you know what? That's a different episode. I'm not going to go about that. No, you know but what? we I can't. should. I'm getting angry. We should because I'm wedding planning right now. And the amount of drama I'm causing with my family. No, so yes, we, we need to talk about it because I am wedding planning. And my Honestly, dad is so, just... yeah, he's so insulted. I band. <laughs> so. honestly i'm insulted too i love dubke bands i love like a zafi i want I know. to okay fine but to find the dubke band in new york city i have to fly them in from <laughs> michigan Nadia. i have to fly them in from michigan <laughs> i'm not that arab yeah and listen <laughs> not that arab. i live in new york i ain't that rich so oh my god oh can we just like i think arab uncles in the buffet line is enough reason to not have a buffet yeah, I said it. So I'm, I'm I'm blaming Corona for not having a buffet. No, it's totally fine to have a buffet in Corona. I was like, no, Mama, no safety first, you know. Ma bdi hada yatos al akel or or she or they was clean or something like that. And she's like, Who are you inviting? <laughs> Arabs. I'm uh, inviting Arab uncles. Yeah, my uncles. <laughs> no, wait. Can, the I am traumatized by buffets because there was once a buffet of Kenfi Mansaf. Like the Mensa line is a completely different story and it is the most disgusting experience. Like I looked at them, I was like, yeah, this is why we don't have our Mensef, own TV show. Mensef is a problem. Mensef yeah. is a, a problem. I cannot. <sighs> that's another one. Can we just it. groan as an outro? Can we just like <laughs> groan <laughs> from now uh, to like the next two wait. minutes? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds weird. Okay, no, 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 stop, stop. That sounds really weird. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but let's have some concluding notes. Like, 
concluding notes, um, you guys, if you accidentally find one shoe missing of your pairs, um, I In. think you... Uh, <laughs> Jin. It is quote-unquote Jin, a.k.a. me, a.k.a. my anger, a.k.a. I don't know. <laughs> I think my concluding oh, note was, honestly, guys, don't be afraid to throw shahata. Let's start speaking up about stuff that annoys us, you know? I feel like, by the way, my my closing note is I'm I, I'm smelling um, merch um, potential in here. Yo, for real. But isn't it like yeah, I am gonna end on this, <laughs> bitch? Let's figure this out later. <laughs> Let me end this podcast. <laughs> if I want to wear a shahata on my back, <laughs> I'll wear a shahata on my back. Done. Was <clears throat> awesome, awesome dialogue. I, I could talk for hours, but. <laughs> nerd moment the attention span of an average adult is only 20 minutes so i appreciate you guys listening for an hour and 13 minutes oh actually if you made it this far oh the food just came i think this is the best way my brother just ordered bake and it just arrived so you know what guys thank you for listening um love you this was alfajara alfajara out aida take it away that's all i'm gonna say Sahtin. i'm gonna go eat my, my <laughs> thank bagel. you guys for listening adios oh, bagels Ugh. Ugh. Ciao. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. We love you so much. This Bye. was Alpha Jara Alia and my guest Aida Kreitem or Kreitem. Sorry. Sharafna. Yeah. Bye.